You are listening to the weekly sermon from Elevation Community Church in Blanchester, Ohio. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit myelevationcc.org. Well, how's everyone doing this morning? I hope well. What a great worship time we've had already. Um, It's meant a lot to me as well. Um, I apologize if I sound a little, you know, horsey. I'm dealing with one of those diseases going on, not COVID, but uh, one of those things going around. So I apologize for that. Um, I want to begin this morning and then we're going to pray with a verse of scripture that's not on the board. I, I added it in the last minute and it's from Psalm 119 verses 97 through 104. It says, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. You, though through your commandments, make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the ancients, because I keep your precepts. I have restrained my feet from every evil way, that I may keep your word. I have not imparted from, or departed from your judgments. And for you yourself have taught me how sweet are the words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much again for your love, for your grace, and for your truth, and for so many other blessings that you have given us that are spiritual in nature, but then help to sustain us through everyday life. Father, I pray that the words that are shared today are words that are beneficial to all of us to bring us closer to you in relationship and to know you more fully, more deeply. I pray, God, that you cultivate our hearts, that you cultivate our our minds and help us to know and to understand and to follow because of what you have done for us. Father, I thank you for the series that we've been going through and focusing on things in the Old Testament that help us point to Jesus. Father, may we even be more hungry for you and your truth and for your word, and yes, even for your law and to know it and to follow. And Father, we thank you so much for all again that you have done in this faith family here and throughout your kingdom all over the world. Father, may we feel you even more today as we go through this time of studying of your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. How many of you like rules? I would say most of us don't, but those rules are necessary for us in our lives. They help us to go, you know, kind of guide us in in good and safe and and healthy directions. Well, today we're going to look at the law. A lot of times when people talk about the law and and think about the law, especially in this time uh, in in Christianity and and a lot of focuses on the New Testament, people say, ah, why why focus on that? I mean, that's that's in the past. That's that's part of the old law or part of the old thing. And and, and we're now under grace, which is true. 
But the law is still significant. It's still important. It's still relevant to our lives. The thing is, we need to understand the significance in its appropriate order of things. Because we look at the law, we go, of course, into the Old Testament. We look where it first came in. As we're looking at this, this lining up series, we, we see that you know sin came into the world after the creation, and there's been focusing on, on the, those who have followed after Adam and Eve in the, in the, in the book of Genesis and Abraham and, and the sacrifice and, and, uh, of his son are willing to do that if need be, and, and then getting into, of course, Moses and the people coming out of Egypt and, and uh, the Passover that was focused on last week. But now we get into the law, and obviously we can't get in every aspect of it this morning with the time that is allowed, but I do want us to understand how the law is still important. It's still significant for us because it helps us to understand what God wants of us. It's not a bad thing. It's not a hard thing, and and hopefully you'll see that and you'll understand that as we go further. I want to begin a little bit in Romans chapters 5 and verses 12 through 15. It says, Therefore, just as though as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. In other words, it's not it's not understood as clearly without the law. Nevertheless, death reigned through Adam to Moses. That was the result of the sin. That's where death came in because when sin comes in to our lives, has been talked about in this series, one of our biggest problems is a sin problem. And we got to deal with that sin problem that we have. And because of sin, death came into our world. And, and that's what this is alluding to. And it came all the way from, Abra, from Adam to Moses. And, the, and those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who is to come. Adam is a type. There's a lot to be said about that. We won't go into that this morning. But then we see, but the free gift is not like the offense. For if by one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift of the grace of the one, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. You see, there's a lot of words in that scripture, a lot of things to dissect, a lot of things to go deeper with. But simply put, we see that because of sin, there was death. and, And death not only physically, but spiritually. And as a result of all that, there needed to be something to solve that problem. And one of the first steps in that direction was the giving of the law. But we need to realize that the law is not the cure. The law is a diagnostic thing. It's a diagnosis of the problem. It's not the cure. But some folks kind of look at it that way. They look at it, well, if I do this, 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 and this, and this, I'll be good. I'll be in good shape. Everything will be fine. Everything. No, they missed it. They missed the point. It's not. It's just helping us to understand, thankfully, God, what have we done wrong? What, what, What do you want of us? And as we look at the law, the law 
has a lot of really good things in it. It's helpful to our, our society and culture all throughout our, from generation to generation. Yeah, there's, there's been those periods where people weren't very law abiding, but the law helps us to understand the wrong and the right of things. When the law first came out, and it was more than just the Ten Commandments, there were different types. Some, did, some have a debate about this, but there was the, the ceremonial laws. There, there was those laws that dealt with certain ceremonies that needed to be done. There was the dietary laws that helped folks to eat the right foods. And then, of course, there was the moral law, which is the part of the law that we are more bound to today than those other two, because those other two dealt with specific things God was doing with his people. But the moral law or the law that helps us to be truly pleasing to God in the way we live our lives, that's the significant aspect of the law that we need to look into and understand. And many people do, but they sometimes, again, understand it and, and follow it maybe with the wrong motives. And that's really what I want to get into. If there's anything else this morning, I want us to look at this motive thing about the law, this motive aspect. In Galatians chapter 3 and verses 21 through 25, it says, is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if there had not been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. But the scriptures has confined all under sin, that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might give to those who believe. Now note these words. Before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor, our teacher to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith, that after faith has come, we are no longer under the tutor. Simply put, the law was a teacher. The law was a way again to say, how do we know how to please God best? And thank God he gave us that information. Thank God he allowed us to understand this is, this is how you are pleasing to me and living your life in these ways. Again, the problem is people have made it such a big deal that, that it's become more of a burden than an honor and a privilege to follow this law. And hopefully you understand as we go further. I'm going through a lot of verses, I know, but hopefully we'll get to this this section that really, really hopefully will speak to us. In Romans chapter 7 and verses 4 through 6, it says, Therefore, my brethren, you have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who has raised, was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by so that we should serve in the newness of the spirit. And I want you to take note of that, serve in the newness of the spirit because the spirit's gonna be a big part in playing 
how we follow the law and not in the oldness of the letter. As we see here, again, it's being spelled out. Yes, there was this law. There was these, again, use the term rules to follow, but all of which were for our benefit in various ways. And today that law is still there, but those laws and those things that we learn from Scripture to follow, again, continue to be for our benefit. But we follow those laws is what we're going to see building to is for a whole nother purpose, a whole nother reason. Another verse, and this is a verse that I think really helps us to understand it most, and it's the words of Jesus when he talked about the law. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 20, it says, do, do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. You've probably heard this verse before. you probably looked at this. I didn't come to destroy it, but I came to fulfill it. For as surely I say to you, till heaven and earth is passed away, one jot and one tittle will by no means pass from the law until it's fulfilled. Isn't that something? Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you, and this is really a, a stinging a stinging implication to the followers of the law in a more legalistic way, who Jesus was primarily talking to at this point, by the way. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. What is he saying in that? What is Jesus trying to to get across? He's saying the law's good. It's fine to follow. It's important to follow. And I've come to fulfill it. And he came to fulfill it in the sense that he lived it out perfectly. There was no flaws. We, on the other hand, will never measure up to that. We will continuously be making mistakes. We will continue to sin. But there's hope in this. So you see, he's working on it in a way that there's, there's motivation. Again, we, he's talking to a lot of the Jewish leaders back here. And what he's saying to them, he says, if your righteousness doesn't exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees, why is he saying that? Because the scribes and Pharisees were people who were hung up on living out the law with the wrong motive. And in so doing, they were actually many times breaking the law because their hearts were not into it for the right reason. They kept on going to people and saying, you got to do this, 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 and this. But in the other aspects of their lives, they were looking, they were living as much a sinful life, if not more so, than those who might be considered the worst of sinners in their minds. And that's what Jesus was trying to help them and those who are hearing this as a part of his Sermon on the Mount, they, he was trying to say, the law is good, but why are you following the law? And keep in mind, no one can keep it, no one can fulfill it, only I can do that. It's just a way for us to understand what God wants of us 
and how we get close to him and how we connect with him. You see, I think what the Jewish leaders did, they compartmentalized their lives, as, by the way, many people do today. They're big on doing this, this, and this, and this. Say, I did this, I checked this list, I checked this in the box, and, and then they live the rest of their lives as if, okay, that's no big deal. That, that's only, you know, that, that's other things. I'm not doing, you know, I may, not, I, I may not be doing this, but at least I'm doing this law stuff, right? Hopefully here in a minute you understand even more, and this is really where it speaks. I want us to look at Hebrews chapter 8, verses 7 and following, and actually this is a, a, a review, or not a review, but a, a reference to, and part of this scripture, to a verse that's talked about in Jeremiah 31, because Jeremiah 31 really hits it on the head as far as what we're real, what the law is about and, and, and why we live our lives for Jesus, why we live our lives for God, why we live the Christian life. Listen to starting in verse seven. For if that first covenant had been flawless or faultless, there would no, then no place would be sought for a second because finding fault with them, he says, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. That covenant carries with it, carries with it this idea of, of, of a law, a promise. It's, a, it's an agreement. With the house of the Israel and the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I led them out by their hand and led them out of the land of Egypt, because they did not continue in my covenant. And I disregarded them, says the Lord, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel in those days, says the Lord. This is the meat of it here. And I will put my laws in their heart and in their mind and write them on their hearts. And I will be their God and they will be my people. Carrying on in verses 11 and following, None of them shall teach his neighbor and none his brother saying, know the law or know the Lord for all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. For I will be mercy, merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds. And I will remember no more in that. He says a new covenant. He has made the first obsolete now that is being obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. What he's saying there is, again, why do we follow the law or the rules, if you will, or the teachings of God? Why do we do that? Is it simply to just, again, check off a list saying, I did this, I did this, I did this? And as a result of that, we think we're going to be saved better. That's such a concept. It's true, which I don't think it is. I'm going to be saved better if I keep the law. No, we do it because we have been saved. We do it because it's already been taken care of. Jesus fulfilled it as he talked about Back in Matthew, it's talked about here in Hebrews, referring back to Jeremiah, where it was first talked about. There's going to be a day coming where I'm going to write my, my law on their hearts. 
That means it's going to be an attitude change. That means there's going to be a motivation that's different. That, that means I'm going to, get this folks, I'm going to want to follow the law. It's not going to be a drudgery. It's not going to be, oh, come on, mom. You mean I, I can't do that? You know what it's like, right? Growing up, son, daughter, can't do this, can't do that. It's going to be I want to. And the reason why it's going to be I want to because the design was for God to touch our hearts by the giving of Jesus to die on the cross and seeing his grace and allowing that to affect our hearts in such a way that, you know what? Following the law is not a burden. It's a privilege. It's an honor. And man, I, I want to do it. And this is really key in how we live the Christian life. You know, I, I want to turn, I want you to look at Romans chapter 12 quickly. And again, I'm not going to read everything, but it's, it's a good chapter to look at when we're talking about Christian behavior. How many of you grew up and you heard your parents say, now you behave. You behave. When they go out in the world or do something, now you behave. Hey, we don't say that as much, but I remember hearing it. Behave. Well, if you look at Romans chapter 12, especially as you look at verses 9 and following, and my Bible, a lot of Bibles will put their little titles above things, those who publish it and those kind of things that are not a part of the original scriptures. But it says, behave like a Christian. Now, before I look at that real quick, I want us to go to the beginning in Romans 12. Verse 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is a reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. That's a key word in all this. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And you could probably put in there your heart as well. You see, what's going to take place what needs to take place in the process of us following God is to have a transformation of heart, a transformation of mind that will cause us to say, you know what? I want to follow God. I want to obey the teachings of the scriptures. I don't want to see these things that are constantly, oh, you can't do this, you can't do that, or you should do this, or you should do that. No, it's like, I want to, because after all, look what he's done for me. He knows what's best for me. But so many people still live in this, in this mindset. In fact, I'm going to ask you the question, why do you, why do you live the Christian life or, so to speak, do the law, however way you look at it? in a specific ways. Is it because you're afraid of how people will see you or judge you if you don't? Do you, do you follow the law so that I, I'll be in good standing with God and he'll give me all these great blessings, he'll reward me and with good health and prosperity and all these kinds of things? Do you say, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to church, I'm going to read my Bible, I'm going to pray and all this, because if I do that, then I'll go to heaven. A lot of people do. They think if they do that, that'll get them there. It's, a, it's, it's doing it for, again, the wrong reason and the wrong order. You see, it's very simply put. There are many people who look at salvation in this way. Three steps. One, they say, well, if I 
First of all, I believe. And, and then after I believe, then I'm going to fulfill the law. And then number three, I'll be saved. That's not the way it works, does it? Actually, when you believe, then you have that salvation there. And then as a result of that salvation through your belief, then you want to do the things that God wants you to do, not have to. And that's what I hope we see. And I think we do, generally speaking, but a lot of times we forget it. And I know that I've been around folks enough, they still have this mentality that I've got to do this. If I don't do this, or if I don't do that, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be, be seen as, as a bad person or I'm not right with God and I feel good. That's where guilt comes in, by the way. That's where the, the forces of evil are trying to get us to feel worse about ourselves. Look, you can't keep it. You can't, you can't measure up to what God has put in in front of you to follow. So why, why bother trying? Why bother giving? Forget it. Second Corinthians chapter three, verses 17 through 18 says, now the spirit or the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed. There's that word again, transformed into the same image from glory to glory, <clears throat> and here again, I want you, I told you I was going to talk about this, by the Spirit of the Lord. Here's my belief in, in, in what's being said here. Your ability, your ability to follow the law with the right heart, having that transformation is by the power of the Spirit working in you. And when we become believers and followers of Christ, we are promised that spirit. The spirit's going to empower us. He, he's going to work on our hearts. He's going to allow us to be transformed. Again, as, as Phil alluded to last week, the key element, just one simple element is that we have to accept it. We have to want it. And as we do these things, again, will happen awesome. It really is. Romans 6, 5 through 18 says, what then shall we sin because we're not under law, but under grace? Certainly not. And this is the flip side. Be care this is the be careful side. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey? Phil talked about that a little bit last week. You are the one slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or obedience leading to righteousness. But God has, th but God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed where? From the heart, that form of doctrine to which you were, which we delivered to you. Having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. You see, it's because it's because there's been a transformation in our heart and we've obeyed from the heart that we get and we become slaves of righteousness. We are slaves to many things, folks. If you don't believe it, think carefully. We have many idols. We have many things that we put in front to follow above and beyond God. Our comfort, our status, in society and culture, 
what I have. I have a bigger toy than the person next door to me. We have all kinds of things that we worship and make bigger than God. And the reason that is, is because of the heart. And that heart needs to change and transform to say, you know, I want God to be first. I don't want to have to make him, I want him to be first. And that will draw, draw me to be a person who lives for him and follows him and is obedient to what we see in back in Romans 12. We see in verses 9 through, and I won't read them all, but there's a lot of different things that talk about, you know, let love be without hypocrisy, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good, be kind and affectionate to one another, and so on and so forth. If someone looked at this list here, they'd think, uh-oh, there's another law there. No, it isn't another law. It's, a, it's, it's instruction on how to live a life that's pleasing to God in a more specific way. It's not another checklist. It's not. It's because of what he has done for us. And here is at the heart of it. I love this verse. This is one of my favorite verses. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 through 15. For the love of Christ compels us. Compels us. Notice that? The love of Christ compels us. Because we judge thus. That if one died for all, then all died, and he died for all. That those who live should no longer live for themselves. And that plays back what I said earlier. That's the key thing. We live for ourselves a lot. But for him who died for them and rose again. The love of Christ compels us. We've all experienced it in some ways, maybe not as, as clearly as this. Hopefully we have. But how many of us have been touched by something that someone has done for us? For example, receiving a gift that we didn't expect, or we're touched by something we see. You know, the, the, the ads for people donating money are really big on this. When you see a dog on television who's in a, in a pen and suffering, oh, we're touched by that, by the heart. And so what's, what we do, we're, we're drawn to say, well, I want to help that dog. That's not the same thing, but that's the thing. That, but it is in a sense that it's, it's we are touched by what God has done for us. That we originally deserved eternity in hell. I hate to say that, but that's, that's really what, what, because of sin. But because of his love for us, he made a way of out of that. And because of him making way out of that, we should say, man, I want to love him. I want to serve him. I want to be involved in him and, and have things that we kind of get distracted by in our life to think, well, if I have this in my life, I'll be happier. Or if I do that, I'll be happier. Or if I have that kind of relationship, I'll be happier. No, those things are good and wonderful and can be beautiful in many ways, but not to take preeminence above our love for him. And our, in, in our desire for a relationship with him. And in that, the law is fulfilled. And that's what it's talking about when we're talking about the law. Real quick. Very similar verses. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. For the grace of God, and that's a huge thing, that brings salvation has appeared to all men teaching, underline that word, teaching us 
but denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that we might that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. That's another way of saying zealous to doing what God wants us to do. Zealous for loving other people, staying out of, out of, out of sinful behavior, sinful things, all that kind of stuff. If you really want to put sin out of your life, I firmly believe this, and I'm not saying this, can ha- this happens overnight, That's where the grace continues to be there. But if we really turn our hearts to love God, our problem with sin, I believe, if not sooner, for sure later, will work itself out. The problem is we may not love him as much as we say we do. And that's the challenge for all of us, myself included. How much do I love? And that's not a a guilt trip. It's to help us to see. And and the word helps us to see that. The, The printing of the teachings and the things that we read in our scripture help us to see that and understand that. Then finally in verse, Galatians chapter two, verses 20 to 21. And does does this speak to you? I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. Is that true? What you think about it? Is that true? It's no longer I live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set, I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, and I put only, of course, the law is very important, And Christ died in vain. The law is important. But grace is is the thing that makes it all work out. See, a lot of times people will put law and grace and they'll be in opposition to each other. They're not in opposition to each other. They go together. It's because of the grace. It's because of what Jesus did and his love and being compelled by that that enables us, if we really look at it in the right way, that should enable us to want to follow the law, the teachings of God, because we take great joy in making him happy. I love this phrase. I've said it before. God is most glorified. It's not mine. John Piper said this, or coined it anyway. God is most glorified when we are most satisfied with him. That means, do we really love him? Do we really, are we really interested in him? And in that, he is most glorified. Man, my people love me. That's all he's wanted for so long. He just wants us to love him. He loves us and he just wants to love back. He can't force it on us, but he wants it. He does need it, but he wants it. Isn't that great? God wants you. God wants your love. And so the law is one of those things that helps us in this process. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you so much for the day. Um, Father God, anything I've said wrong or not appropriate, erase. 
from our minds and our hearts, but those things that are true and right, God, I pray that they were planted firmly in the ground and in the souls of, of, of people's hearts, including myself. Father, it's been an honor and a privilege to be able to be here to share these words. Um, thank you, God, for sustaining my voice, a little bit of my cloudiness in my brain. Um, God, I just love you. I thank you for helping me see this, but I pray that all of us will see this and be motivated by this. May the love and grace that you have for us drive us closer to you and living for you, and which means also living for others. Transform us, God. Change us. God, we love you. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our weekly sermon. If you'd like to go deeper with another resource from our church, please check out our weekly Impact Bible Study podcast as well. Both of our podcasts are available on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud.